Right now, I'm going to share with you from Donielle Hartman, the son of David Hartman of Blessed Memory. Donielle is now, of course, the head of the Hartman Institute. And I want to share this with you because I find his cat, like, you know me, like when people categorize things in ways that analyze and pull apart and name things, I tend to find it very helpful. So I share with you what I find helpful. And so right now, thinking through our collective Jewish life and Jewish community facing um, the circumstances, and he, he talked, he just gave this talk uh, last week. So I've got these notes from him from last week. The conceptions, the categories he's putting forward are obviously something he's been thinking about and has published about before, but he brought it into the right now for us, which was really, really um, wonderful uh, and amazing. I feel so privileged like to learn with these masters on the topic that concerns so many of us right now. So this is, this is thoughts on community together apart and alone in our time. And he referenced several times in the time of COVID-19. So, um, which in Israel, apparently they call Corona. Doniel Hartman, who, who has built this institution called the Shalom Hartman Institute, all about being a think tank, as you know, all about being about pluralism, all about how do we think as a Jewish people about the challenges uh, confronting us in the 21st century and in this moment of COVID too. Um, you know, he says, we Jews are preoccupied with asking the question, who are we? That's an interesting place to start. That that's where he opened his lecture was an interesting place to start. Like, really? Like, who asks all the time, who are we? It's generally not a people who's comfortable with an answer. Who, Who asks, who are we? It's somebody who's sitting in a place of discomfort, right, with who am I? So anyway, that was interesting. We, we, we Jews are characterized by our preoccupation with the question of who are we, particularly now. We ask that question a lot in a lot of different ways. And he says, maybe we don't know. Maybe because I feel I'm bound and connected to something, not by choice. But maybe we don't really know what that means. So I feel like I'm bound to something. It's not exactly a choice. But to whom or to what am I bound So a lot of us Jews would say, well, it's because I'm Jewish. Well, okay, so you're, what does that mean? Well, I'm bound to something. Well, what is that? And we're not always able to articulate exactly, even remotely, what that is. So he says, it feels so important to us, but we don't really know how to talk about what we're bound to, what binds us together as a people. How do we see ourselves in relationship to each other? We've inherited categories that really don't work anymore. So when we look at those categories or we look about what it means to belong to the Jewish people, we try to fix the relationship in a way that he says not even a mediocre therapist would approve of. So, like, we ask the question and try to answer it in a way that a mediocre family therapist would not approve of. Because what we tend to do, he says, is that we tend to look at the question by trying to change the other. Those who have a problem with the relationship as we see it. We want to change the way they see it and have them agree with us. And all you have to say is millennial. All I have to say is millennial for you to get what I'm talking about or what he's talking about, right? Millennials, 
oh my God, these millennials, how can they fit? Right. So, and believe me, I have my stuff to say about (laughs) millennials, but of course that's a sweeping statement. It's painted with a hugely broad brush. It overlooks all kinds of complications and details and things about who people are as individuals, but it really cuts to the core of who we are as people who are ready to say the problem in the relationship between us and millennials is the millennials, right? How they see it, how they're experiencing it, how they relate to my way of doing things, thinking about things, seeing things, talking about things, acting through uh, uh, our beliefs, all that stuff. So that, that's one thing. That's one problem. We, we look at the relationship. How do we fix the relationship? It's on them the people who are uncomfortable with how I think about it or how I do it. The nature of our community right now is that we are multi-generational, multi-ethnic, multinational, and there is no way we can transport Jews back to how they saw it 30 to 40 years ago. So, right. That, that's what we say to millennials. Like, why, why, how come you don't see it the way I see it? And I'm not trying to say we're naive and idiots. I'm saying, there are some core ways of experiencing the world that are different. We are now not in relationship as the Jewish people to what it means to be part of the Jewish people in the same way we were 30 and 40 years ago. But some of us still talk in those terms and in those categories. In the time of Corona, he says, um, Daniel Hartman says, it's both harder and easier right now for Jews to talk about how we belong to each other, why we belong to each other, what belonging is about. He says, on the one hand, it's easier because one of the core features of the response in this time is within our national group consciousness, right? So think about how Italy's handling the crisis. Well, that's very different from how we're handling the crisis in the U.S. That's very different from how Sweden is handling it, right? So, so in a way, we kind of get our context, because COVID has forced us to get that it's a local, even local meaning national response. And that's going to be different from other people's responses in other countries. We're in this together. We're all having to defend against a common challenge, a common enemy, if you will. And one of the greatest challenges about Jewish peoplehood at the same time is that we're still like involved in yesterday's conversation about what does it mean to be part of the Jewish people? What does it mean to belong to the Jewish people? What are the components of that? What does that look like? What, what calls us to that when we're living in a time where everyone's wanting to be globalists? So we're kind of trapped in this like weird thing between wanting to figure out what it means to belong to the Jewish people and what that conversation has always looked like, what those categories have always looked like, and what it means now to be globalists who are like, we're supposed to be looking beyond that uh, in other ways. So our categories now, he says, include things like maybe my primary category of belonging is I belong to humanity. As a globalist, I'm a human being and I belong to all of humanity, not so much the Jewish people. Who cares? I'm a human being. I belong to family, human, qua human. Um, the other is that uh, it may be my gender identity, right? It may be lots of things that are not necessarily my ethnic identity as part of the Jewish people. He says, coronavirus, this time of living in quarantine, reminds us that within the global universe, we belong somewhere. 
to a particular somewhere. And that loyalty and care grow within certain bonds, which are not just about being a human being, but being a particular person within a particular community. So there's both pros and cons, that I belong to the human community, that I might belong to my gender community, I might belong to whatever, like in this huge way that is so incredible that's happening in our time right now, because we're able to, as Jews, participate in that. But also, COVID is teaching us that we belong to really, really small communities. Like, Governor Newsom just put out uh, standards, you know, but, but Garcetti said something else for LA and LA County. Like I just talked to my Chabruta partner that I've been in Chabruta study with for seven years, six or seven years now. And she said, wait, 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 I thought California was opening up. I'm like, no, that, yes, parts of California, but not LA and LA County because we're under a different order. And so it's like, we're getting this sense of belonging both to this plague is like happening everywhere. We're part of humanity who's trying to deal with this and get our heads around it and have science answer it. And at the same time, we're part of, really small communities where people, individual people in individual families with individual circumstances living in an individual uh, experience of the epidemic, the local epidemic. (coughs) All right. But I want to go to his categories. He says, you know, Corona is going to come to an end. Uh, It will have lifted up certain issues that we face and questions that we will have to ask and try to get our heads around. Um, But here's, Here's what he's talking about in terms of how we have to think as a Jewish community about how we belong to the Jewish community, how people in a different generation from us belong, how the generations after us feel they belong uh, to the Jewish community. And he's going to give us five categories, five ways of understanding how we relate to being part of the Jewish people. And he says, you, and I think he's right, actually, that um, you have to have at least three of the five operating at any time to have the relationship to you and the Jewish people be one that is successful for the Jewish people and for you. All right. So, I, and, and it, like when I first heard this, and I first heard this from him in Israel, um, so I was glad to hear him lecture on it again and bring it like in a, in a way up to date. But I remember thinking, oh my God, this explains so much about so much of what I'm hearing from different, right? Different kinds of Jews, different generations of Jews, different ways of being Jewish, different concerns in the Jewish community, um, different interests of the Jewish community. So here they are. All right. So five categories, and this belongs to both Israel and world Jewry. And in some ways it's about our relationship to each other. So Israel and world Jewry relating to each other. So these are five categories. Here we go. First is that we see each other as family. We are claimed by Jewish family. That's how we understand it. It's not exclusive. These are not exclusive categories. These are inclusive categories. Um, But okay, Jewish family. So what does that look like? That means families defined in his, in Donielle Hartman's terms, as a group of people related by blood, and having a shared sense of belonging and mutual obligation. He understands that blood does not mean blood literally, right? He, he totally owns, even if it's a mythological connection, right? Like there's uh, me, and I totally relate to that. When he said blood, does, of course we're not related by blood. <laughs> you know, but like, 
you know, and as somebody who has not one drop, although through Ancestry I'm finding I have some really small drops of Jewish blood, but as somebody who has no Jewish blood in her body, I relate to that first category most strongly, family. Judaism, right? Belonging to the Jewish people is about family. So a group of people related by blood, let's put that in quotes, um, and having a shared sense of belonging and mutual obligation. So first of all, think about where that comes from for you. How does it play into your younger people in your life? People who would be your children's age, if you had children, um, grandchildren's age, you know, like th- think the generation past you. What do you think is going on for them? He, he says, of course, we're not all related by actual blood. It's more about the fact that we don't choose our family. That many of us feel bound to the Jewish people, not out of a sense of choice, but out of a sense of I'm bound by this. And again, he says, we may not even be able to articulate what it is we feel bound by, but we feel bound by something that is not about our choice. We're bound to one another regardless of whether or not we like each other or whether or not we want to be together. Think about, right, right, the Jew who annoys you the most. Are they still part of your people? If you feel this sense of belonging, this first category of family, then the answer is yes. Unequivocally, the answer is yes. They drive me nuts. They drive me crazy. I hate to see them coming. When they come towards me at Oneg, I go the other way. Like, like, doesn't matter if you ask, are they still part of your people? Are you bound to them in some way? The answer is unequivocally, yes. That's what it means to belong to the Jewish people in terms of this sense of family. My bond and my responsibility to you is a given. A small nuclear family, we all know that's kind of obvious, right? Like, we get it. Like, we think about the nuclear family, like, We're obligated. We may choose to turn our backs on that obligation, but we get it when we think about nuclear family. You know, you you inherit those relationships. You don't choose them, right? They, I was adopted, but guess what? They chose me, which meant now I was obligated by their choice. Doesn't matter I wasn't born to them. This was my family. I'm now obligated by those relationships. Whether I was born to them or not, it doesn't matter. And he says, you join and become part of it. And once you do, you are like implicated in all of the relationships involved in that family. Because whether you want to talk about it or not, you're someone's in-law, you're someone's daughter-in-law, you're someone's grandchild, you're someone's whatever. You don't choose that relationship. It's, It's something that you inherit. We receive it as a sense of belonging, and he's not saying that's a positive or a negative. We, we belong to this family, whether we like it or not. We uh, also like, understand that, uh, that it, it means that there is mutual obligation and responsibility. Whether again, whether we want to honor them or not, we understand these families relation, this familial relationship comes with obligations and responsibilities, and there's no easy exit ramp. Right? Many of you know I was estranged from my mother for many years. That does not mean I wasn't burdened every day with the fact that we were estranged. Because I had no contact, because I abdicated my responsibilities as a daughter 
did not mean I had taken the exit ramp and I was gone, right? I was implicated every day in that choice to not be honoring of the obligations that people normally understand to be functioning between mother and daughter. There's still a sense of I'm abdicating on some level for my own mental health, for my own well-being, to protect my daughter. It doesn't matter the reasons. I was abdicating a responsibility that comes with family. So that's one way of understanding belonging to the Jewish people. Okay, what's number two? Oh my God, what time are we at already? Oh, okay, we're already half out of time. So I'm going to go faster. So two is fellow believers. So what's, the, what's another way that people can feel they're part of the Jewish community or do experience being part of the Jewish community? What are fellow believers? A group of people who have a strong commitment to a shared religious belief that something is right and good. All right, I'm going to repeat that. A group of people who have a strong commitment to a shared religious belief that something is right and good. We're not going to define religious. And it doesn't have to be in the way other people define religious. So even if you want to take that word out, it's fine, right? People who have a strong commitment to a shared belief that something is right and good. So that is not something that we inherit, right? That is something we choose to align ourselves with. That's something we choose to belong to is a community who expresses this is what we believe to be right and good. Uh, It's about core values and core beliefs, that has an exit ramp, right? So family, it's not such an easy exit ramp. Even if you leave, there's all these kinds of implications. But if I'm joining a community because I share their core values and beliefs, then there's an easy off-ramp. What's the off-ramp, right? I'm sure you can come up with it in your own head. I no longer feel that you share with me core values and beliefs. I no longer feel like this institution or this people or this whatever is expressive of my core values and my core beliefs. That's what brought us together. And that's what will help me like leave. If I decide that's not happening anymore, that you're not acting in good faith anymore. We kind of had an understanding of our core values and beliefs. And now I believe you're not acting in good faith. Um, If we choose to be together, then we can choose to leave each other. And maybe you're not so important to me anymore because another set of core values call me. So, so one's family, two is shared beliefs. Third category is partnership, being partners. And that he defines as a group of people who join in a common undertaking with shared risks and shared profits. Not profits like Isaiah, like profits, like money. So, a group of people who join in a common undertaking with shared risks and shared profits. All right, so what are the implications of being partners? So if you're talking about American jewelry with Israeli uh, jewelry, or you're talking about, I think it's really also about American Jews and how we belong to each other. Well, that is about, uh, let's say it's Jewish continuity. That's one way to look at we, we have a common undertaking with shared risks and shared profits. We might say, okay, I belong to the Jewish people and I sign up to this thing because I want Jewish continuity. I want Jews to exist into the future. That's the profit I get is believing that 
this will contribute to other Jews and Jews existing and Judaism existing and the Jewish worldview existing into the future. Okay, maybe it's about defying Hitler, right? Who was it who wrote the 614th commandment is you will not allow Hitler a posthumous victory. So I'm just, I'm doing this out of resistance to them trying to wipe us out. Who even cares what goes into the future? I just am going to stand with, I will not allow Hitler to have the last word or to win. And so I will support um, the Jewish people and be participating in the, the uh, enterprise of the Jewish people. Um, partners with world jury in Israel and maintaining the future of Israel as the Jewish state. Like, so we may, uh, that's our signing up for some of that. For some people, ask them. Their Judaism is really about Israel. It really is about Israel existing as a Jewish state. Okay? So that's one. Um, but in any case, what, whatever you fill in the blank with about being partners in a shared set of you know, risks and profits, you choose it. And so if you choose it, an exit is possible um, but it's not easy because we share the risk, right? So I can leave, but if I leave and I've already identified that the risk to me is that there won't be a Jewish people in the future and I care about that, then I can leave, sure. But I, but I incur some risk about something that I hold to be important to me. And also, he says, we take part in the risk the risk too, not just the benefit. So he's saying like, yes, obviously if I continue to participate, I participate in the profits of that, but, but that risk also uh, inhibits us a little bit in this category from leaving. Cause if I leave what I think is something really important that needs to happen, right. Then, um, then I have to take responsibility for that. Number four, fourth category is investor. So participants in a collective enterprise that expends money, capital, or resources with the expectation of achieving profit or gaining an advantage. Right, so investor. What comes to mind right away, and he identified it right away, this is the American relationship to Israel. If I think about my parents and grandparents, this is the relationship of American jury to Israel. We're investors, right? We're not equals. There was no way Israel was considered an equal of the United States Jewish community. No way. They were beggars at the door. Um, and, and no one ever said that out loud, but it was very clear to me in the home that I grew up in with both my grandparents and my parents that um, we were investors in Israel. And they felt very proud about that. Don't get me wrong. There was nothing denigrating Israel about that. They were very proud, my parents and grandparents, to invest in Israel. <laughs> I told you the story of being at the mall in Georgia. Maybe I haven't. Um, of, um, that we were selling Israel Must Live bumper stickers in the 70s. Um, it was the Federation campaign, Israel Must Live. Nobody was buying the bumper stickers in the mall that we were in in Georgia. And my father, of blessed memory, had this brilliant idea. We're going to see that store over there. They had big wooden crosses hanging in the window. So he sent us over to buy crosses for our whole family. So the four of us um, put on these huge crosses and bumper stickers started selling like this, like hotcakes, right? People were happy 
Christian Americans were happy to invest in Israel. They understood that relationship for them to be about investment. And what is that defined by? Again, participants in a collective enterprise that expends money, in this case, right, Americans, money, capital, or resources with the expectation of achieving profit or gaining an advantage. There's a reason they were buying those bumper stickers. There's a reason American Jewry was investing in Israel. And I'm not saying it's wrong to invest in something because you believe you're going to gain an advantage, right? Or there's going to be some gain. That's the only reason to invest. Why? We invest in our children. Not, we, we certainly don't invest in our children thinking they're going to leave us and blow us off and say, I never want to talk to you again. That would be stupid. Why would you expend your energy on something that's not going to have any returns? So it's not insulting, but there are implications to the relationship that certain parties could understand as insulting, right? Okay. I want to say he also suggested it worked the other way. When Netanyahu came here and trashed our president and talked like negatively about how our president was interacting. So because Netanyahu thought, where am I going to gain? What am I going to invest in? And it might be different from what we as American liberal Jews <coughs> would have uh, invested in. And he thought to himself, you know what? My, my investment needs to be in evangelical Christians, right? And some other folks who are going to support the state of Israel to a tune that is way richer than what liberal American Jews are ready to do because they don't see themselves in some of these other categories. They see themselves as investors. They're not very good investors. I can't really convince them to invest. So I'm going to the evangelical Christians or Chabad. Like many American Jews do not belong to a synagogue, but they give to Chabad. Why? Because they feel Chabad is reaching out to the Jews who really need it. Chabad really has their finger on the pulse of what's going to keep Jews connected to Judaism. We don't want to deal with them. Like, we don't want to deal with those Jews. But Chabad will take care of it. Chabad will bar mitzvah their kids. Chabad will show up for their mother Shiva. Like, we don't want to deal with that. But we believe we're getting a gain on our investment if we support Chabad. And people, we have these people. In our own KI community and in Duluth, it used to make me crazy. My Jews in Duluth, I was the only rabbi for three hours in any direction. So it was not about denominationalism. I was reconformadox. Our synagogue was reconformadox. And my people who wouldn't come to shul on Friday night showed up for Shiva Minyanim when Chabad called them. Well, without you, we don't have a minion to say Kaddish for Sarah Goldberg. Her children will be devastated. And my people not only showed up, they brought chairs. They brought food. Like people who never darkened the door of our synagogue for a regular service showed up for Chabad. Why? Because of this. They're an investor. They get it, that Chabad is, is going to get them a gain in some way that they're investing in by going there on a Thursday afternoon to make a Shiva Minyan, right? And I'm not trying to cheapen any of this. Donia Hartman's not trying to cheapen any of this. 
What he's trying to do is help understand what are the ways Jews relate to being part of the Jewish community? What are the ways Jews like operate in terms of supporting Jewish life and Jewish enterprises? If we don't understand that, we're sunk, right? So I always just find these things really helpful to think about and get my head around. Um, okay, we expect that gain is going to be what happens in this category. And so for the investor, we leave far more quickly, right? If I don't see a return on my investment, guess what? I'm out. So we're not just looking at what drives people to belong or associate or what they're going to get out of the relationship. The other thing is how fast can they exit, right? So for the investor, they can exit pretty quickly because what's the cost? Nothing. Right, if you're if you're supporting Chabad and then all of a sudden Chabad does something you find horrible or horrifying, you're like, okay, you know what? Forget it. I'm out. Right? I'm going to give to the JCC or I'm going to give to Federation. Right? So the the exit ramp again is pretty quick. All right. Category number five, the fifth and last category, I promise, um, is consumer and people. People. This is where we are facing possibly the greatest challenge ever to belonging to the Jewish people and a category of what it means to both belong to and serve the Jewish people. So consumer, you all know it, but I'm going to say it anyway. A person who purchases or benefits from the use of goods and services. All right. So what does that mean? How does that look in Donia Hartman's, you know, and the Hartman Institute's conceptions about what it means to belong to the Jewish people? This is a new category, a new dimension of our relationship with each other. American Jews to Israeli Jewry, American Jews to American Jews, or to the Jewish enterprise. This is a brand new category, a brand new dimension. Because really, it means somebody's not part of the group. All these other categories, you know, you're kind of some totally in, somewhat in, maybe in, maybe out. In this one, in this model, for the first time, you're not a part of the group by definition. You are outside the group. And what do you do? You purchase something from the group. They can leave in the easiest way. They leave when there's another product that gives them the same thing as they perceive it, whatever that is. They will leave the second they find a better value somewhere else. That they can get the same thing, whatever that thing is that they're in it for, for what? Less money, less effort, less, I have to sign up and give them my email. Don't you hate that? Don't you hate that? For anything now, you have to give them your email. It's like, do you think I'm an idiot? And then it's like, oh, guess what? I'll just create a dummy email account and I'll give them my email so I get the benefit, right? So that's consumer um, ways of thinking. They leave when there's another product that gives them the same thing. Partners and people like partners are still getting something from the relationship. Even if it tips for a while, partners still feel like ultimately long-term, they're getting something out of it. So I think about the stock market. Did I sell all my stock when everything just dropped a million percent? No. Why? Because yes, it's not immediate that I'm going to see returns or results, but I'm a partner with the stock market. I have to believe that if I leave my money in long term, like it'll be better than if I just pull out, 
right now because I'm a partner. I trust the system. I trust that there's something I'm going to get back from it. If I was a consumer only, I'd say, this is stupid, right? All right. So what are the things that are threatening to the relationship of consumer to um, the company, in this case, the Jewish people, that they're getting something from? Um, well, if they're a consumer, they may choose something else just because they're bored. Like, um, really? Torah study again? This, the, wait, what? We're doing this Parsha again? For the 17th time? Are you kidding me right now? There gotta be some Buddhist texts that are more interesting than this. Leviticus again? Right, so maybe I'm just bored. Or maybe I just wanna change. Maybe it's not working for me so much anymore to go to Shabbos services. Like maybe that's not doing it for me. I really wanna sit quietly. I really wanna go be part of something that's about movement and being in my body rather than schmoozing with Jews over cookies. With super branding, he says, we have to sell people on being different somehow because that's what they're used to, right? So when people say to me, and like, and I'm not, I swear I'm not saying with this with much judgment, maybe a little bit, but um, when people say to me, oh, you have an Android phone? Yes, I have an Android because I'm not an iDrone. I refuse to be an iDrone. So, but super branding is about, well, you're not cool or with it or technologically anything if you don't have an iPhone or a Mac or fill in the blank, right? That super branding has told us this is what makes you different. This is what makes you special. This is what makes you in the know. Well, if there's a new one, and it ain't about being Jewish or belonging to the Jewish people. Like they're super branding right now. That's all about, I am multi, you know, I have multiple identities and this is what we talked about when we talked about identity politics. Like there's other things that are calling on my loyalty that are way cooler. Like, and to be frank with y'all, like I'm way cooler as a lesbian, as a ultra femme lesbian than I am as a Jew, like way cooler. Right. So if that's important to you, like if super branding is important to you, you, you eliminate the ones that don't bring you what super branding does. I'm special. I'm unique. I'm attached to what's the most cool, the most, the most relevant. And I'm, and I, and I'm not denigrating this because I think people get trapped in ideologies that are cool. Not just technology, not just, you know, products. That's a cheap way to talk about it. But But really, people get into, I'm so above, I hear this from, oh, my gosh, in my office, in my study, I hear, oh, it gets me going every time when they sit on my couch and they say, I'm beyond denominations, Rabbi. I'm beyond ethnic, you know, labels. I'm beyond needing to call myself one religion. And I'm like, Okay, listen to the value-laden language you're putting to the word beyond. If you're beyond that and you love that, that's fine. But the language and the values that I hear, the judgment that I hear is, and you're not. I'm cool because I'm ahead of, I'm beyond all of that mumbo jumbo. You talk a reconstruction, who cares? Jew, non-Jew, we're all one in the eyes of the divine. We are all human, qua human. 
And anything else, Rabbi, is reducing things in a way that we are beyond, right? So I hear this language a lot. So it's not just about, I have to be part of the coolest thing because it's the hippest thing. It's that it might be the, the worldview that is most accepted right now, that's most popular right now. And I want to be part of that. So that certainly means I'm not going to say I'm a Jew and a Reconstructionist Jew and proud of that. And here's what that means, right? Because I'm beyond that. Because we're all beyond that, those of us who are cool. All right. Those are the five categories. So, um, so I'll just quickly um, recap, and then we, I want to open it up for some uh, conversation, some discussion. Um, but to recap, we have family. I've lost my second page of notes. Oh, because <laughs> I turned it upside down. <laughs> all right. So we have family fellow believers, partners, investors, and consumers. Doniel Hartman argues you have to have three of those five operating at the same time for the relationship to be successful. That you can't just have one, not even two. And I think he's right. Because at any point in time, one may take less importance, right? Like family may feel really important, important, as my way of identifying with the Jewish people when I'm raising a Jewish child, right? And want her to feel part of the Jewish family. And, you know, but what about when she's gone to college and it's just me deciding what I do with my Friday night, deciding what I do on a Wednesday night. Am I doing Jewish learning or am I going to watch another Netflix documentary? That's just as important and just as insightful, certainly not as enlightening and as exciting as like learning with your rabbi on a Wednesday night. But, you know, okay, one could argue of value. Um, so, right, so you have to have, in, in our lifetime, there's different ways that these work. There's things that come to the fore and things that recede, but also just in our own lives in different areas, different ones of these. Like, I, I'm a shared, I, I think um, uh, fellow believers is a big one for a lot of us who feel like tikkun olam, social justice. That's fellow believer stuff, people. Like, that is holy roller. I'm a Jew who believes, and my tradition tells me Heschel marched with King, and he said it was praying with his feet, right? That, that is some powerful stuff. So, yes, for me, it's family. It's also fellow believer stuff for me, though, right? And on a lot of days, it's partnership, right, that I get from the rabbinate a living and a roof over my head. Thank God right now so many people not able to pay their rent. I'm grateful that I'm a partner with the Jewish people and I profit from it. I have a job. My daughter sees me being efficacious in the world and powerful um, in terms of relationships and at the center of a community. That's, that's huge. Right? So it's not that they're exclusive. They're not mutually exclusive at all. They are mixing and matching all the time. <coughs> but it's important for us, I believe, as Jews and as Jewish leaders <coughs> And you are Jewish leaders by virtue of being here and being this part, this much a part of a thriving Jewish community. We are charged as people who care about the Jewish community. Think about, okay, which of these modes are we in? Which mode is our, you know, oldest child in, our favorite niece in, who might be tempted, right? But I have to talk to her in terms that she can understand. And in, it, and in the Israel 
America relationship, these categories are very helpful because how do we think as consumers or as investors, right? So going back to my model of how I grew up, my, my family was very proud to be investors in Israel. But like, what do investors expect? If I'm investing in you and you tell me, I don't really care what you think about our elections. I don't care what you think about religious pluralism. The wall's going to stay divided. I don't care about women having access to that. I don't care about, you know, progressive, non or forget progressive, non-Orthodox rabbis being paid by the state to be rabbis for a certain shetach, a certain neighborhood that they live in, can only be Orthodox rabbis. You can only get married by the Orthodox rabbinate, and I don't care what you have to say about that, you American Jew. Well, how does the American Jewish investor feel about that? Right? And so it, it, it's important for us, I think, to at least begin thinking about what categories we fall into in different ways. Me as an American Jew in relationship to Israeli Jews and Israeli Judaism, I feel very differently than I might about my home community. Like, and I'll close after this, I promise. Um, I, I was asked in Duluth to participate in a night for Israel. And it was being put on by a fundamentalist right-wing evangelical church. And I said, a night to honor Israel? Like, they're like, we would love for you to be on the dais, Rabbi. It would be so important for us because it's to honor Israel. And I'm like, well, what does honor Israel mean? Well, we're raising money for Israel. And the premier, blah, 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 brigadier, highest ever, most decorated general of the Israeli army is coming. So how could you not be there? Like, if the, if the brigadier general of the hoo-ha, hoo-ha, hoo-ha division of the Israeli paramilitary best SEALs group ever is there. How could you not be? Like, that's the stamp of approval, right? Like, what? how could you not be at that event? And I had to really think about that. I thought, you know what? I don't want to be at that event because this is an evangelical church who's putting on an event for Israel so that they can marry converting Jews to Christianity and having the, like, wait, this undermines the entire enterprise of me as an American rabbi, but the hoo-ha, 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 Brigadier General is going to be there. What do I do? That is a question. If he's there, if he's going to be there, why am I not willing to be there? And then it came to me, oh, my gosh, because sometimes our agenda separates. He was an Israeli Jew trying to secure whatever influence and aid he could for the state of Israel. And that was absolutely the right thing for him to do. It was also perfectly the right thing for me to do to say, I cannot be there. Because your ultimate mission is to convert my Jews to evangelical Christianity. You use Hebrew to do it. You're going to teach them Hebrew. You're going to teach them a relationship to Israel to not only woo them, but Jews who are questioning. And you know what? That undermines my mission as an American Jew. And so here's where me and the Brigadier General parted ways. I said, you have every right to show up. I respect your decision. That's your primary responsibility vis-a-vis the Jewish people. Mine is different. And in this one place, not often, but in this one place, they completely collided. And I said, I won't do it. But that was a really hard decision, and I wish I would have had this language, right, to say, in this sense, we are in two different categories of primary belonging to the Jewish people. And the American Jewish community, you know, um, vis-a-vis the evangelical Christian community is in a very different place. 
than the American Jewish community. And we're allowed to make our decisions based on the fact that we're in very different categories and very different relationships. I've talked a long time at you. Thank you for your patience. Um, so Missy, will you unmute the people who want to talk and like, let me know who wants to talk. You can like go down to participant and raise your hand, the little blue thing. So Missy knows who you are. Bert Kleiman raised his hand. It looks like. Did you say that people need to have three of these five things going? Because I That's think like he says, like, if we can get Jews to have one of these five things going, we're really lucky. Right, but three if you think seems about... to be, three <laughs> seems to me, I mean, I'm not saying it shouldn't be, but if you look at real Jews and real people, if, 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 the, if the standard is three, they're going to be a lot fewer Jews than we have right now. I think he would argue the exact reverse, not opposite, but re- reverse it, that the Jews who are involved in Jewish community have three of these five going for them. That already they have three of the five, or they wouldn't really be part of Jewish community. Not an active participant in Jewish community. To have an active, positive relationship with the Jewish community, then you've got three of these five operating on some level. It can't just be one, because one, except for family maybe, but it's kind of a twisted relationship. But other than family, there's an exit ramp for the rest of them that are, that is so easy that we would have far less Jews involved if they weren't obligated in other ways like family. It's not a bar that you have to have three going. Some people just have one, but he said really functional, positive relationships has three elements of the five usually going at, at some point. All right, somebody else? I'm not sure what having three out of the five makes you. Nothing. Nothing. I'm just saying people want to see them as exclusive. And all Donnell Hartman was saying is they're not exclusive. Not only are they not exclusive, but usually three out of the five are operating if you're involved in Jewish community. So it makes you a, an active member of the Jewish community. Yeah, that, that you know, okay. that... Usually, if you're participating in Jewish community, it's not just out of family obligation. Right. It's not just out of a consumer. It. It's not just out of shared beliefs. Like for me, if you ask me, am I at KI because of what we do is for tikkun olam or because of what we do in Torah study? Those, those, it's, ex- it's making things exclusive right. and, and it's not, not exclusive to me. Right. It's both. And it's my family. Right. So for me, if you want to ask Amy, what are the three obvious ones that come to mind? It's family, partners and shared belief. They're they're working for me constantly. And sometimes as a consumer for my daughter to go to religious school, I'm a consumer. Right. I'm I'm purchasing a service from. Right. So he's just saying they're not exclusive categories where you're only one or only this or this one's better or this one's more. Right. Three out of five. If you're in a. If you're in a robust relationship with Judaism and the Jewish people, usually it's three out of five that are operating. Whatever so you're are. looking at the Jewish world as a whole, and if you're three-fifths involved, you're involved. Yes. And it doesn't matter which of the three. Right. Right? Thank you. It's not a judgment. There's no levels. It's no. just like 
These are the different ways now that the reality is how we relate both as American Jews to Israeli Jews, Israeli Jews to world Jewry, because that's his perspective. He's an Israeli Jew. So he's talking about Israeli Jews as relating to world Jewry and America in particular, because we were the other big Jewish community um, in the world. I'm interested in how he sees Israeli Jewry with these five categories. He, he was very clear, like in the ways that he saw that working, you know, for, for and against our relationship as American Jews to, to Israeli Jews. It, it was very interesting. Not bad. All right. So um, I can share uh, a few closing thoughts from Doniel Hartman. One thing he says is um, in terms of the um, c- category of consumerism, he said it's changed. Once upon a time, Israel had a consumer relationship with the U.S. Once It was once said that because we were a strategic ally um, and we were financially successful, so that's why Israel was in relationship to us. So even if I, as an Israeli Zionist, believe Israel is the only real place where Jewish people can truly flourish legitimately, I'll still respect you because you're going to deliver for me. Right, so Israel once saw us as investors. Like I said, I grew up with a family right. invested in Israel. So I talked to you about what my family expected, right? So, but he's saying Israel at one point relied on us in a consumer relationship, right? Because we were financially successful and we had strategic relationships in the world. So right. Israel expected to benefit from investing in that relationship with America. And he said, um, but what about when it says, maybe I can do better somewhere else, which is what's happening now. This is where I talked about the evangelical preacher. What if American Jews, particularly liberal American Jews, who, by the way, are the vast majority of American Jews, Yes. by the way, whatever the Orthodox want to tell you about their numbers or how quickly they're increasing, <clears throat> sorry, the huge, vast majority of American Jews are progressive or liberal American Jews and self-identify that way. Well, what if all of a sudden Israel finds us as a consumer not so favorable? The evangelical Christian event, the night to honor Israel, is way more beneficial pays off in way bigger dividends for Israel. So it's not just about our consumer relationship with Israel, but also Israel's consumer like relationship with us. They can find another customer. And it may be the evangelical Christian movement, which it is right now, by the way. Go to an APAC conference and all you like you hear all you hear touted is like evangelical Christians going to Israel with APAC. Uh, okay, and I'm not criticizing that. I'm not. I'm saying there's Israel's smart. They're smart consumers. Where are we going to get the most bang for our buck? Is it with liberal American Jews who are going to boo Netanyahu when he comes on stage? Probably not. Don't think so. Don't think so. All right. So, um, what happens in a post-Holocaust Israel when you're giving me security? As an American Jew, that's my consumer investment in you, is that you're going to give me security because anti-Semitism could happen anywhere, right? So what happens when I don't believe that anymore? What happens when I'm at home in the U.S.? What happens when I don't believe I need to invest in you, Israel, as my security anymore as a Jew? 
in America, mm. anywhere in the diaspora. That changes in my lifetime. That has changed fundamentally. Yes. I grew up hearing it could happen here. And I grew up believing it could happen here. I no longer believe it could happen here. I don't. And you can call me naive. You can call me what it doesn't matter. I'm a consumer. You don't need to believe me or agree with me. You need to understand me as an American Jew who's young enough to believe that it can't happen here. And don't get me wrong about what I think the danger at the top right now is in our country. You know me. Don't get me wrong. I'm not naive about that. But it's not just about me being a Jew. I feel like black people, brown people, poor people are way more at risk in this country than I am as a Jew. And that comes from the top. So I'm not saying it's not our leadership or whatever, that it couldn't happen here, that people are decimated because they're brown or murdered in the street or poor or whatever. I am not naive. What I'm saying is I, as a Jew, do not feel like I need Israel to protect me in my country of America. I don't feel that. I could be wrong. It really doesn't matter if we're looking academically, intellectually at categorically at what attaches me to Israel. If I stop investing in you because you're the only place I can go if Hitler rises here, I'll give you my money. But if I believe Hitler's not going to be able to happen here because I will help stop it with other Jews and Jews coalition with other people, if I believe we can stop it here, why would I invest in you as my safety? I might invest in you for other reasons. That's why there's five categories. I'm not saying we shouldn't invest, right? But that's changed. That relationship has changed dramatically in the last uh, generation, I would say. He says also um, consumerism that used to bring us into relationship is now being undermined also. We have to compete much more for each other's loyalty and each other's attention. Fill in who each other is us and Israeli jury, us and world jury, us and each other as Jews. Like we, we have to compete a lot more for each other's loyalty and each other's attention. Like synagogues, we have to ask, how do I keep someone involved with me? To assume that Jews will be Jews by choice on every front is a fundamental mistake, says Doniel Hartman. Um, so I think he's right. I think he's insightful. I think I want to challenge him like on certain things. Um, I always want to push back because that's just kind of my nature. Um, but um, I'll, I'll share with you his closing thoughts to us in this lecture. He says, we have to begin a real conversation about what are the values that we share. Massive, we need a massive education initiative around this. And you've heard me say this before about what Hartman says. We need to massively have an overhaul of Jewish culture, of Jewish education. Like we have to have a, a renewed energy around really changing the way we see and do all of this. There will be values that we don't share. That's okay too, he says. But at the core, is there a shared value language even that we can all use? And I say this as denominations in America, between us and world jury, us and Israeli jury. Um, is there a mission that we all care about and can unite around? Do we have any shared beliefs together now? And this is not theological beliefs. It means 
core values, concepts that we can agree on, he says, when we do, when we find shared values, shared beliefs, shared ethics, we can reclaim then the language of family. Right? So language that's off-putting as family, if you don't share beliefs, if we can find the shared things we can rally around, then, and only then, he says, can we reclaim the language of family. Because we have different loyalties, yes, but when we enjoy being together and have a shared purpose, we're happy to re-engage with the idea of being bound to each other as family. We won't just be connected by a shared purpose and common roots. We will have something we will want as family to embrace again. I think it's the challenge of our time. I think, again, like I often, you know, might disagree or who cares, but I think it's a great jumping off point to start thinking about and talking about we, KI, do we have a shared sense of mission, a shared sense of values and ethics and beliefs and morals that hold us together enough that we're ready to reclaim the language of family. You don't want to claim family that you hate being with. I mean, it's family. I'm not saying we're not related to each other. I'm just saying he's right, I think, in saying if we can get to a place where we can articulate our shared values, beliefs, sense of going forward, what that means Jewishly, what that means with us in alliance with other traditions, what that means with us in alliance with people who have no tradition, it doesn't matter. Can we speak a common language? Um, And if we can live into that and breathe into that and breathe our own Jewish uniqueness into that and our fire and passion about the way Jewish life has seen that for centuries, then we can also reclaim the language of family. And I believe not just as Jews, but for our family as being the human family. Because right now in this country, my sense is we are so distant from each other. I don't want to claim other Americans as even belonging to my country. Right now, I am so angry. I am so angry at people who are willing to put human lives at risk to say it's a a plot. It's a, what do you call it? A a hoax. This virus is a hoax. Guess what? 400 times the cases are happening in Minnesota. A thousand times the cases are happening in Missouri. You are putting human life at risk to say, really? Really? I don't want to say those are my fellow Americans. I have to. I know that. I know that. What I'm saying is the Jewish people is we need to figure out, do we have common values and ethics and morals that we can live into and find a language around that to use for just us along with our allies in other faith traditions and in no faith tradition and say, this is, this is family. We belong to each other. We are obligated by each other. And I feel like I need religious language more than ever to talk about that. And I don't know about y'all, like I know it's the business I'm in, but I also feel like we're devoid of any real passion around standing for what we believe and who we are, what we want for humanity, how we belong to each other and how we're responsible for each other. You're not going to wear a mask. What? Like I'm responsible for you. If I don't wear a mask when I go to the grocery store, I'm responsible, right? So 
I feel more than ever, it's important for us to at least have this conversation. I'm not saying we need to land on these categories. I'm not saying we need to lean into one more than the other, but I, I think it's important for us to start the, talking about this stuff at a really deep, really high level, both deep and high, because it's oxymoron. But um, I think it's, it's critical because otherwise, how do we address the moment that calls existentially for us to show up? And I believe we need to show up with Jewish language and as the Jewish people and have a Jewish voice about this. Um, And so I'll shut up now.